Hello everyone. Today we've got uh, one of the most, uh, a very old school player and also another fellow uh, poker players champion alongside. He also was a uh, poker player of the year as well. I didn't know this, um, but he's excelled in many different formats of poker. PLO to start and then tournaments and mixed games and also Chinese poker. Please welcome Mike Gordinsky otherwise known as Gordo. What's going on? Good to be here, Dan. Thanks for having me. Yeah, well, thank you for your time. Can you tell us, uh, well, I know you were born in Russia, actually. Uh, I did know that. Um, in St. Petersburg, I've always wanted to go to St. Petersburg. you've done your research, yeah. Oh, I should, I think I didn't know that one for a while, or at least I could have guessed. Uh, how did you end up coming to the U.S. and getting into poker? Um, so getting to the U.S., basically, uh, even though like we're not really a religiously practicing family, my last name's Jewish, Gordinsky, and um, in the 80s and early 90s in Russia, there was like a religious pogrom. It was hard to find work. And so even though my dad, who has a lot of degrees, um, was very qualified for work, he just couldn't get it in Russia. So he eventually went to Israel and got a job at a university in Nepali, Jerusalem. And then worked there while we were still in Russia. And then we followed him to Israel. And then eventually he got a uh, university position in St. Louis, Missouri. And so moved there. And so we kind of jumped around based on my dad's work until we landed in the States. And um, so, yeah, so I got to the States. And then poker just kind of like everyone else, man. It was on TV when I was young. And I liked it. And I like games like you. And just wanted to play and get good. Yeah, the U.S., it was very... Um very very well advertised i guess you could say it was very common to to play in the u.s versus like i guess it was somewhat common in russia but it wasn't nearly as common as um the u.s was like really the place for it so you're talking yeah. poker wise like playing online oh uh, yeah i mean uh there yeah. i think it at russia russia's um uh, russia's well, poker's influence on Russia lagged behind the USA as well as Europe, etc. But I know you're a PLO player, and I know they play more uh, PLO, Parliament of Omaha, in Europe. Um, is that what you first got into, was Parliament of Omaha? Well, or? I mean, I was, I was three, I think, when I left Russia, and I was six when I got to the States. So I wasn't playing much poker in those days. Um, I just randomly found PLO, like complete accident. I played on party poker. And just everyone's clicking buttons, and that's the game where it's the most fun to click buttons. And so it's just kind of, I don't know, it randomly stuck, and so I wound up doing that for many years. It seemed like there's probably a lot of money in it, too, at least earlier on. I mean, as it happened, I don't know if uh, my audience knows this that well, but at the high stakes, for quite a long time, uh, the high stakes no-limit players didn't have such stellar win rates exactly for the most part for a couple people but um, the biggest win rates tended to come from PLO and so I imagine at a PLO ring there was some um, some money to be made is my guess and maybe PLO heads up too I know we battled it out we did in 2010 I don't even know yeah. one. did you win I mean I, yeah I wish I had taken poker more seriously back then because there definitely was a lot of money to be made but I uh I was kind of focused on just like I was in college, I was partying and uh, not really, poker wasn't a priority for me back then, sadly. 
Um, so I kind of wasted like the golden years of poker really in the States. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, making thousands of dollars every week, it's not for everyone or whatever. No, no. You, you, you got to choose what's important. That is true. I mean, money doesn't, it doesn't have to be that important. I guess it's a, that suggests that you're not that interested in money. You're probably making good money back in the day at PLO, but I don't know. Um, for at least for me, I was like grinding my ass off during college years. Uh, I was a little bit excited by the idea of making like, uh, I was making like $200 an hour and all that <laughs> in, uh, it was like a freshman in college. Yeah. I so, remember you telling me those stories way back when. I can't remember. You remember, I, I'm surprised you remember that. What were you, how are you doing in college? College was actually probably when I was doing, so college for me was 2004 to 2008. And that was when like all of the no limit players, like you were transitioning to PLO. So like that's when stars and full tilt was going strong. And so, I mean, I was just playing 25, 50, 100, 200 pretty regularly, like blackout drunk sometimes like an idiot. Uh, <laughs> and that was kind of my college experience. I played a lot of poker and then I just kind of enjoyed the typical college life. So, yeah. yeah. 2550 2550 is pretty serious stakes really serious yeah for college i mean you know $5000 buy in i mean people must have like if you were talking about it, i remember at least back in the day I used to think those were high stakes uh especially when moving up in the first place yeah like the 2550 on stars if you like was really kind of where people got their feet wet with high stakes well yeah you could like win 100,000 in a day like if you're a college easily, kid easily. like I'm surprised you didn't care. You're like, oh, whatever, $100,000. Like, Well, I did, but it, yeah, I was just, I, I was, I don't know. I really wanted to have this like normal college experience. So I, I kind of brushed poker off to the side. I, don't, I, don't, I really, I couldn't even say why I had that priority. I just did. So I tried to like, yeah, I didn't even really share my poker results with my friends that often. Like it, it would only come up in like bypass conversation. It was weird. I, I really don't know why I chose to do that. All right. Well, you had the call the normal college experience that I never had. I had the, I had the make all the money, uh, college experience. Um, and then like, I kind of strolled in, and I had I didn't have any friends, but I like told them like my results, and they were a bit more uh, less uh, what's the word casual about it than I was. Right. Um, I mean, it's it's objectively kind of insane. So it's probably good that they weren't casual about it. Yeah, I, I it just like it's just uh, blew over my head. I was just, just sitting there like, oh yeah, I made a million dollars uh, last year, and they're like, oh no, you didn't. Um, but uh, yeah, this is kind of ridiculous when you think when I think about it. Uh, I just like lacked a lot of common sense back then. But you were probably much more socially adjusted and uh, more normal on the whole, is my personal guess. Is that right? I would, I would guess compared to you, I was a, I was a little bit more socially uh, socially apt, yeah. But I mean, we both got there in the end. Yep, that's what the council's. Um, I know that you also. We, I remember we played. Uh, what was it? We played what Super Smash Brothers. Uh, we had a bet on that. We had like a twenty five hundred dollar bet in Florida. And yeah, I was gonna say that must have been in Florida. Did you beat me? You had to have beat me. I was so cocky for no reason. I think you beat me. I'm pretty oh, really? sure. Okay. I'm like ninety percent sure you beat me. I I thought I was good, and then I played you, and then I lost. So I'm like, 
I'm uh, I'm this way with like a lot of games. This ping pong, I'm very good for someone that's not good at it. And then if someone's that's like actually good at the thing wants to play me, I get murdered. Oh, okay, okay. It's kind of like poker. <laughs> I guess. I mean, it's pretty good to just be good at everything, and then uh, at least recognize that if someone really becomes a specialist. To the yeah, yeah, I mean that's. Uh, it's good that it sounds like you've got a lot of overall uh, talent. For some reason, I remember you playing sports as well. The ping pong is kind of a sport. It's a sport. I mean, I, I dabble. I'm kind of a jack-of-all-trades type. Is that how you got into mixed games, where you have to play 10 different games and play them better than your competition? Yeah, I think so. I think one of the biggest skills, especially back when, you know, there weren't solvers out for every game, was being able to learn games faster than everyone else. And that's definitely something that I think is a strong poker skill of mine. Like, I pick up on kind of like pattern recognition and just kind of like game theory faster than someone else without like a study aid. Yeah, that would be quite an advantage in uh, mixed games, uh, especially like random tournaments that no one's really playing at all like stud like you know a stud eight tournament or a raz tournament or right that kind of thing uh i presume you would have quite an advantage over the field and these sorts of things and it seemed like your performance really uh showed that is that right yeah i mean i, th I think generally like all like the mixed game tournaments are my bread and butter more or less just anytime that you have to switch it up constantly Oh, okay. Um, can you tell me what you'd attribute um, your success in all these games, in PLO or mixed games, anything like, like that? Is it just natural talent? Did you work at it? Did you, did you play something before all this stuff? Like, we definitely have a very different uh, process for getting good at stuff. Like, you, I think, are someone that, you know, like does a lot of rote memorization and study and like real study, which I respect. It's not, it's not really something that I've ever been able to do. I, um, when I was per like, I think there's a certain amount of natural ability. Like there's, I think compared to like an average person, not to a gambler, you have to, you know, be self-aware and have good risk tolerance. But aside from that, it's just kind of, I, uh, pick up what I think good players are doing and then adjust it to my own style and go from there. I would say, uh, by the way, I don't do a whole lot of rote memorization. Oh, you don't? Actually. Okay. Um, all I really do is I just see, like, the principles at work. Um, and, I mean, one thing I do a lot of is I carry over those principles to appropriate situations. Um, let me think if I can give an example. Such as, um, uh, a good example between the mixed games would be if I know what hands are opened in a certain situation, if that situation uh, moves in a certain direction, um, like say we're talking about limit deuce to seven, and if I know certain hands are opened in limit deuce to seven at you know certain positions, mm -hmm. and all of a sudden we play Badusi or Badesi or some stupid game like that, uh, I can guess what hands would be opened in the next position. And there is like some crossover between the games yeah, sure. thing. I mean, like this applies also for no limit tournaments because you can. It's pretty common knowledge which hands are opened in no limit tournaments and which hands are dropped as you, which hands are added as you get later and later positions. Like there's a there's a pattern between the hands you play from one position to 
you know, a couple of positions down the line or which hands are right, dropped. Right. If you're going to pick which hands to drop, if you're really thinking about it. Um, and like, if you know the right way of looking at things, you can like adjust your strategy quite fast without like, you know, looking, you know, doing a shitload of math or anything like that, or like firing up, uh, poker, pie solver, God knows what, or my monker solver. Right. Tell you, does this make sense? Yeah, of course. So you're basically using situational knowledge in one game to aid it in the next game. Or within the game. Like, for example, right. you know, when you play later in a tournament, depending on your stack size, you should, play, you should open tighter or um, looser, depending on everyone's stack sizes and your stack sizes. And it's important to know the baseline in the first place for these things. I'm also explaining for my audience so that they, yeah, of course, I understand. So they can learn and feel like they're learning something. Um, and it's true. Like if you know this principle and apply it, you know, reasonably well, this is more useful than like studying a shitload of charts, which is quite impractical. Yeah, um, for sure. Yeah. But it sounds like you had, you had kind of a lot of talent and one of the things that really helped you was looking at what good players do that other players, uh, don't necessarily do. Yeah, of course. Uh, or at least you, you learn from people that were doing certain things. Well, I especially try to learn from people that have a different approach to me. Right. So like someone like you or, well, I, I thought you did a lot of like solver study. Maybe you don't. Um, but it's like, I like to see the kind of like opening ranges that, that those sorts of players construct. And then I kind of, you know, first I improve my own ranges that way. And then you can sort of delve into the general strategy behind like, their opening range and what it dictates post-flop. And so, yeah, I'm more, I, I kind of learned that way. I learned through other people's progress. Uh, okay. Um, I will say that when it came to pre-flop, there's no like way of approximating what pre-flop ranges to play. I mean, with stuff like that, you really just need to like rely on the solvers and I mean I used my intuition too like there were a lot of things I tried and tested and I would get a feeling over time of like what's working what's not working or like what's working better than something else like I could feel quite a lot uh, what I mean you can tell if one strategy over enough time is better than another just by its feeling if that makes sense or at least there's some kind of judgment between them and that it's, it's at least somewhat useful yeah, um, sure. you, you know, you don't want to rely on theory if you, you have this feeling that the theory is like really leading you astray because there are certain players such as uh, Ben Solsky who would come up with really unusual um, conclusions and, uh, you know, if anyone was looking at them intuitively, they would see, oh, like, this isn't working um, sometimes. Yeah. Does he still play, by the way? Does he play on stars? I don't play Poker Stars. I oh, yeah. uh, I've had enough Poker Stars after they like decided to raise rake and also to like take a cut from your deposit and take a cut from your withdrawal. Uh, I decided that was enough for me. Yeah, I mean I and, haven't played on there in years, but yeah, yeah I'm curious I mean, about some of those guys that used to be in all the games when I when I was playing, like him and Alex Kastristen. Well, Alex quit as well. I know that he's oh, doing yeah. his own thing. Ben, I'm not sure, but there's still live action, um, as you might be aware of. I guess you were playing in uh, San Diego. There's still, you know, the Poker Players Championship, which you uh, won. You won the 50K. Did you have any side action on that? Did you, like, envision yourself 
as one of like the top mixed players when you're playing that or is there any backstory on that one uh there's no real backstory i mean i've always taken that tournament as like a kind of a degenerate splurge every year where like i don't stop any action i just like to play it so i mean i bet on myself in that way you know where it's like probably bigger than i should be taking all of myself in but i i like to take all of myself in that tournament i don't think i had any kind of big side action i might have had a few 10 10 tens or something where you know for cash final table and win but definitely nothing huge for the audience, a 10 10 10 is a reference to a bet that is commonly made between poker players that if you cash and one person doesn't cash, they owe you 10,000. But then if you make the final table and cash, and if they don't, they owe you two times 20,000. And if you win and the other person doesn't cash, they need to do a, as good as you to get that 10,000 back. Um, then they owe you $30,000. They owe you 10 times 3. That 10, 10 for the cash, 10 for the final table, and 10 for the win. Yeah, uh, I, think, I think the creator of this system was Abe Masseri back in the day where, you know, he would have this individual bet with tons of people and he somehow racked up just like half a mil or something in action through it. And so these min caches for him and these like random 10K mixed tournaments over the summer were so huge. It was always funny to see him sweating it. Well, this would be like quite a smart bet to make if you get a lot of people betting against yeah, you. Yeah, of course. Then, huge. I mean, all you have to do is squeak into the money then. Uh, yeah, for the audience, then you have a really, really massive bubble and suddenly your strategy is very different compared to everyone else's. And all you have to do is cash and you can make a lot of money if you've got a lot of these bets with other different people. And that would be like kind of the hustles because they couldn't necessarily know that you could do that. Yeah, exactly. Um, it was a pretty sharp hustle, honestly. I give him credit. Because he definitely got it through a lot of times where he had just massive, massive action on min cashing. Not sure what happened to him because he did seem pretty sharp. I will say that when it comes to Abe Moseri, he he was probably a very good games player, but it was pretty obvious that he had some pretty compelling, pretty large leaks in mixed games. I remember him specifically like mocking a play that Ben Solsky was making in stud. Uh, and then as he, he told me it, I realized in my head that actually he was wrong. Not Ben, but Abe was wrong. The guy who was laughing at at uh, Ben's play. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, this was something that was not very well understood by um, mixed players. But he I'm curious. What, do you remember what the play was? I'm curious what it was. Yeah, I do. So he, uh, yeah, clearly he didn't understand the situation. But um, basically, he was. There was a situation where it was folded to, I believe it was Abe who was stealing in stud high, and Ben Solsky who was showing a two, and Abe would steal presumably with any card. Uh, I guess with a jack or a king or I don't know what it was, mm. and Ben would defend with nine ten, uh, in the hole. Um, so if it's a full ring. Um, Abe is massively wrong. In fact, it's quite a big mistake to fold here because, you know, the antis are, there's a lot of anti dead antis in the pot and, um, nine, 10 is actually not that bad of a hand, uh, when you have a two and the equities in stud are a bit closer than you might expect. It's pretty easy to see this on uh, pro poker tools or whatever. I mean, there's more to the story than that, but those, that's just like the rough. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I can see where it goes from there. Yeah, and um, I think people, 
didn't really consider some fundamentals in many of these games, but uh, he made some other similar kinds of mistakes. Um, but yeah, I guess he didn't do too well in mixed or something because he lost quite a bit of money. Um, I don't know a whole lot about how he plays otherwise, but I found that to be really funny. Is uh, One funny thing in, in poker is it's really easy to think you know everything and then find out actually you don't. Um, there's some really strange things in mixed games that most people are unaware of. Yeah, I mean, yeah, poker is one of those things that takes constant self-evaluation to stay kind of relevant, right? Well, yes, and it depends on who you're playing against. I mean, it doesn't. this isn't true against, like, large populations like in uh, tournaments. You don't need to necessarily... I mean, you should be quite aware, but it depends on... Yeah, but if you're playing with the... You're playing with the best players, you should probably, you know, keep keep evaluating yourself and your ideas pretty regularly. Well, yeah, if you're playing against specialists, especially like specialists at a like a single spe- specific focus and right. high stakes and things like that, or if people are doing things you don't understand that uh, seem seem like they're working, it's a kind of a red flag. Or people are doing smart things. Or things that don't seem don't seem ideal, or that that uh, if people are doing things that it seems strange, but you can't verify if they're right or wrong, it's probably worth looking into. Right. Yeah. But uh, anyway, why don't you tell us more about uh, your mixed game experience and, and uh, the Chinese poker experience that you had? Um, were there any like? Was there any? Was there much to that story? Because it just seemed like, at least from my perspective, you were playing mixed and Chinese, and just one of the better players for a long. Uh, I mean, getting into mix, I guess, was weird because I I really didn't play anything outside of PLO for many years, and then you know Black Friday happened. There was no online poker anymore, and I had moved to San Diego where there was a small PLO game that ran, and then there was a big mixed game that ran with a with a few good recreational players. And um, yeah, I just sort of jumped into playing essentially, I, I think it was 300, 600, 400, 800, which is big, you know, big for a mixed game, especially if you've never played before. And um, yeah, I just sort of learned by, I literally learned by playing like it. There's a few games I've never played before in my life. And so I jumped in and luckily the game was soft enough where you could do that, you know, and not get punished. And so I had like, I don't know, five years of playing mix in San Diego starting from scratch and eventually evolved into like a pretty decent player. But yeah, it took kind of taking a big shot um, on myself and just kind of hoping to intuit the games as I went. For those who are, uh, for the audience, a 400, 800, 300, 600 game is like a $10,000, $20,000 buy-in. Uh, yeah, it's pretty big. It's like pretty typical uh, Win or lose, fifty thousand, four hundred forty thousand or so. Yeah, yeah I for it. You know, just yeah, it's big, obviously. I mean, it was probably a uh, not the wisest choice, but <laughs> it, you know, luckily it worked out. Doesn't sound so stupid if like there's multiple recreational players. Like, why not? Uh, sometimes, like hopping in there really is better than just waiting and making sure you have perfect information. It's actually. Actually, there's some studies on this somehow. I don't understand how they, how they did the studies, but uh, when it comes to entrepreneurship, which is this poker, um, is a variation of, 
it's mm-hmm. uh, you're supposed it's optimal to like take action when you have something like sixty something percent of the information. As it turns out, um, so taking action is a more valuable trait than being prepared and like making sure you've got all the details in. Yeah, that makes overall. sense. I mean, it lets you capitalize on opportunity more, right? Yeah, I guess so. But you can also like pivot. You can learn on the go as as uh, you apparently did. Right. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, there's not a whole lot of studying for these like bizarre mix games. It's it's a bit strange. I mean, people plateau partly because they like refuse to like. It takes quite a bit of effort to start considering ulterior strategies, um, or alternative strategies, I should say, in especially these mixed games. But they they exist, uh, you know, when you get the, um, the math going of the Sims, you can see them a bit more clearly. Yeah, I don't know how many uh, Bedusi Sims there are out there, but I know what you're saying. So. Did you have any kind of method to learning the different games? Was there anything like specific you did uh, that helped you to get better at like one particular game? Maybe that you can talk about it. Did you use like any kind of solver or anything for? I had not used the solver until about a year ago where I just was bored and wanted to learn how to play Nolan the tournaments better. That's the only time I've ever used the solver. Um, which is not some sort of brag. It, it's more just that's how lazy I am. Like I, it's just very hard for me to force myself to study, and I, I just don't like that method of of learning. Um, no, I mean basically, I kind of approached. Um, I approached learning the mixed games the way I approach everything else. I kind of, you know, I'm, I mean, I was friendly with everyone playing the game, and I would sort of pick up on who was winning in what game, who kind of knew what they were doing and, and talk strategy with them, just try to mirror how they were playing and intuit, you know, what worked and what didn't. That's kind of always been my my way for improving. So were there any aha moments that you had or anything specifically that you learned about through someone else um, that you remember that really um, made a big difference in what you were doing? Yeah, let me think about that. Not in not in San Diego when I was learning mix. I've had those moments a lot playing online in tougher games. Um, like uh, like even now, uh, even these days, I you know I play in a game right now with uh, World, who obviously you've played a lot with, Johnny and just Chris. like and just a few of the things that he does in stud are really like eye opening for me. Where I'm like, because like I know that he's a very very good stud player, right? And so it's like it helps to just. Um, it helps to watch sort of like the value lines that he takes. Like there was a hand this morning, literally that I played with him where I was just like, Oh, like clearly this is a spot where you should have this value raise that I just kind of was missing in a spot with two pair. Right. Can you explain the hand? Uh, sure. Basically, um, I think four handed, he's a bring in with like a, or, no, there's a deuce bring in, a queen opens into a bunch of low cards. Uh, so like a likely steal, he defends a four, five, or six, something like that. His hand is a run down to start. Pairs, I mean, he catches like a five, so his board's like five, six versus high card, high card. And it goes bet, raise, three bet, call. So he caught a pair and he had a, and he had a three straight. And then he just went... 
uh, basically bad call the whole way through from the high hand and then bet river and just two pair raised, which just like is a raise that I miss, I think a lot. Um, like world wound up making two pair in the end and raised. And so it's just like that kind of thing is just, I, I like, I need those sorts of reminders to not plateau in the way that I approach a game. So it's like, I like seeing people go for thin value in spots where I maybe wouldn't. Sure. I, I'm kind of curious about that spot myself, just because I would think that it depends a lot on. I mean, I would think it's not an, always a raise with two pair against. Like, I agree. I, it's for, like if 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 a solver was doing it, I think it would definitely be a mixed strategy. But it's just like it's nice to be reminded that 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 exists, like that that line exists, basically. Sure, sure. I mean, I think like the dead cards matter a lot for whether it's a raise or not. As my personal guess. Um, yeah, I agree. But yeah, I mean, if someone's really diligent, they can pick up a lot from all sorts of players once they know how to interpret uh, the information well. I mean, like, that takes, that's skill in of itself. Because yeah, exactly. You can't just, like, see a line and then just be like, oh, I should do this every time in this spot because obviously that's not going to work. Right. Did you ever uh, watch poker and learn that way, or was that just not a thing? Or you don't you're not watching poker? Uh, I, I I haven't watched much in a long time. Uh, just for whatever reason, that like kind of like fuel to get better in that way faded. But I did used to when they had um, final tables for all of the different games uh, broadcast for the World Series. I would watch those. And because, you know, with cards, I mean, it's exciting. A lot of times you get specialists at those final tables and being able to see how they play for like eight straight hours is pretty cool. Oh, I do think if you know who the good players are, then you would learn. But I remember specifically when I watched poker back in the day, um, I, I would highly not advise someone to learn that way. But I would like, I personally, if I watched now, I probably like couldn't stand it. Uh, I remember it would like really frustrate me for all sorts of reasons. For one, like I thought they played like shit, and like two, uh, I would just be like envious of the people at final tables because uh, I would just feel like I'd play better than them, and then or they weren't doing anything that intelligent or anything. Well, like I mean, that. in your defense, you've kind of proved that you do play better than them, right? So it's oh, understandable yeah. that you were frustrated. Well, this was when like back in the day when I was like grinding up. I wouldn't advise usually people watching uh tournaments unless they know who's good if they're like watching someone specific yeah sure. Which, I mean, obviously that's where i was coming from where i kind of already knew who was good and who who wasn't but um yeah, yeah I, th I think your advice is probably valid because just because someone wins a tournament doesn't really mean mean too much you know yeah but it's also quite difficult to discern who's like the good players in the games especially when it comes to mixed games when you know there's 10 different fucking games yeah. like how do you know who's good like, um, that's a good question for you. How did you know who to listen to and who not to listen to? Like, how did you, like, it, it's, it seems like it shouldn't be 100% dependent on uh, what other people say, even though that matters. Um, yeah, I mean, what people say matters, but yeah, you have to, you have to be able to, it, it's a skill like anything else. You have to kind of be able to figure it out for yourself, um, which I think I, I was able to do pretty well. There's a guy like Kevin Keller in San Diego. I don't even know if he plays poker anymore, but he was clearly the best player in the game at that time. Kevin and, Keller? Uh, yeah. I don't know who he's Kevin not, is. I think he's he's a cousin to Thomas Keller, who used to play a lot of poker. Oh, the Kellers. The uh, Kellers, yeah. I know that Thomas Keller was good at Chinese poker. He was very good at Chinese poker. 
It's true. We played a lot. Was there like something you did to become good at Chinese poker? Like that seems like an all math kind of game to me. Like Chinese. Poker. Yeah, at the end of the day, it, it is all math, and so that is why ultimately, I mean, I I wound up winning overall at Chinese. But like when I started playing, like the very best players, like Thomas and everyone else that had done a ton of work on it, like I I did not have good results. But it's a but it's again, it's just another poker game that I picked up faster than most other people. And that was I the um story. I, I believe you beat a, beat me when we played Chinese. I put in quite a lot of work myself at Chinese poker, and I still think I must have been pretty good, but I did not win. <laughs> at what Chinese? The which variant of it? Pineapple, the the one with three oh, cards. You get three. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean that one really was all math. That one was like tons of variants, and it was like one of these games where if you make careless mistakes, it really you very hard yeah um, as i've learned playing more and more chinese over the years and starting to look at a little bit of math for it i mean the mistakes that you make can be massive you know just like just lazy mistakes can cost you like 15 points a hand it's it's really insane yeah that one's good for people who are very cautious and and per, uh diligent with their decisions uh the other poker games in my experience are not as Generally speaking, you're not as uh, punishing of careless mistakes for some reason, which is yeah, unique yeah. about poker. You don't really have to, you don't need to be perfect really in most situations, especially with like bet sizing and stuff. I don't think that the bet sizing stuff has to be perfect is my guess, but I've never really like looked into a sim and analyzed it. I personally like to use more exploits on stuff like that. I, I too come from the exploit camp, so... So what else do you do besides poker? Uh, I know you went to business school. Um, I actually didn't. I think that's on my Wikipedia or something. I did not go to business school. I had a, I had a bunch of degrees that I like could not possibly do anything worthwhile with. <laughs> I was a psych major in English literature and education minor. That's what I did, did in college. Well, maybe um, you could write an essay on it. I wrote a lot of essays, man. A ton of essays. Uh, yeah, so like degree-wise, I don't do anything. But yeah, I do a lot of like outdoor type stuff. I surfed a lot when I was in San Diego. I do some rock climbing here in Denver and, you know, kind of try to live a balanced life these days. I um, I remember that you are quite athletic. I didn't know you surfed. Yeah, that was, uh, that was one of the reasons I stayed in San Diego for so long. I was totally obsessed. I, I think I've tried surfing, and it, I remember being it being very difficult to do. There's a massive learning curve. Yeah, it uh, you have to kind of enjoy being just pounded in the water for a month before you can actually like get up on a wave consistently. Is there any like parallels between these things and poker? Like there is actually. There's a ton. I I, I really um. So like, because with surfing, you're at the mercy of the ocean. Every time you go out, you know, you're not guaranteed to get waves. You're not guaranteed to actually ride a wave. And so it teaches you a lot about just kind of like, um, you know, accepting whatever outcome you get, which is a really hard skill to learn for poker, right? Being like, okay with, with whatever the day's result is. And I think it actually helped me in that way. Like it helped my like mental game where I could play you know a long session in a soft game lose and just be okay with that result because that's just you know that's just the way it is 
So equanimity and surfing. You're at the uh, uh, in poker. You're at the mercy of the oceans of variance and the waves. Yeah. More or less. I mean, you know, I, I don't want to make some sort of flowery, you know, allegory, but that's kind of what it is. Like you're some days you just do everything right and it doesn't work out. Well, you're the literature major, apparently. It seems like a flowery allegory is more. That's of right. Allegory, right? Yeah. No, but that's uh, yeah, I haven't been out in the ocean in a while, though, sadly. How about you, man? What are you up to? I feel like you're doing something new every week, every day. Well, I've started the podcast. Uh, I got a piano, and now I'm going to play uh, some music. You got a piano? I have a piano, yes. Is there one in your room in Vegas right now? There is, yeah. Um, matter of fact, it's, a, it's across from from uh, my laptop now. I even practice today. I'm learning some jungle tunes. Some jungle out. tunes? What does that mean? <laughs> I wrote a book. Uh, called the Jungle Book from the movie, uh, the Jungle or whatever it's called, or with Mowgli and all that. The, the right. bear I was practicing the bear necessities earlier today. Uh, I fear I just feel like it had to be done. You know, it's not like that hard to learn. And I agree. So, I respect that about you. I feel like when you want to do something, you just make it happen. Because it's like I've actually also wanted to learn to play piano for a long time, and I just don't for whatever reason. But you like you're in Vegas. Clearly, it's not easy to get a piano to your room, but you just got it done. Well, uh, you know, this is where the business school stuff comes in handy, I presume, in that I had someone order it for me. And mm -hmm. I just told them, like, you know, order this for me. Um, so that made it made life a bit easier. Uh, it helped that I played piano for five years. The problem with playing piano, I'll tell you, uh, but maybe you don't have this problem is you, you need a piano. Um, and I do have this problem. I do not have a piano. Well, if you buy a piano, we can play a duet. Uh, Binder booked. All right, you could play. We could play something from Super Smash Brothers. That would be kind of fun. So, but um, what are you going to do with this? Do you have a house in Vegas? I assume you don't. What are you going to do with this piano when you're done with your stint in Vegas? Uh oh, it's in my condo. Like I have a condo in Vegas. Oh, uh, okay. All right. Well, you know, like. Whatever. I mean, you could get a. Uh, well, if you're well, for my, in my case, I ended up like deciding to learn another instrument that uh, apparently has various health benefits of sorts. Um, it's been called the wand of patience, uh, the flute. <laughs> uh, okay. It's right. very. It's got the opposite problem of the piano, and that it's easy to 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 like hold and easy to take with you. But it's impossible to play. The piano is very easy to play, um, and impossible to find. Do you have a, Do you have this flute in your uh, condo right now? I think your viewers might want to see you try it. All right, I will. Uh, do. As a matter of fact, here we go. Well, now that you've uh, mentioned. Wow, there it is, folks. Okay. There it is. So play, play a little something. All right, let's see it. There you go. That's that's. I can play a you're, you're getting there. There's noise coming out of the flute. There we go. That's about all I can do. I uh, hope that none of your viewers Photoshop what you were just doing. Uh, <laughs> nice, man. I mean, that's cool that you're learning these instruments. Yeah. Uh, I'm doing a lot of things. This is some of the things that I'm, that I'm doing. Um, long story. Uh, so spirituality got in the middle of it, but uh, since you 
maybe that's up your alley since the way you're talking about surfing the waves maybe it has something to do with some various section of spirituality for sure there's some native american tribe that has invented some kind of philosophy based off of the oceans or something is spirituality a big part of your life now dan yeah yes um i mean that that what does it mean for you well now you've asked this question that is a very big question um a, a big uh for um excursion of that is how does spirituality connect with the real world uh that's in my mind a very important question so a uh, part of the answer to that is spiritual what is spiritual is literally what is the unmanifest um i mean in the more esoteric something is or less like clearly physical the more in the realms of spirituality it becomes um and so to some degree you can do some things with this uh based off of systems of logic and blah 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 uh but it does beg lots of questions such as like why do anything why do good why play poker mm-hmm. um what's uh you could say what is purpose and all this stuff uh and all that is like connected in some kind of way to spirituality um so are you just kind of using it as a medium for divining like purpose and meaning in your life uh i've been doing that i've been trying to investigate also like like for me it was never enough to say oh i'm gonna be i i, I had some kind of feeling towards pursuing it but not towards um but not like necessarily doing it, if that makes sense. For me, I need like a compelling reason to do something. So I had to ask myself all these kinds of questions um, as, and they pertain a bit to the career and all these sorts of things. But basically somehow India got in the mix and some uh, philosophy and I had a big revelation that put me in a state of ecstasy for four days and then ended up traveling a lot. What was uh, your revelation? Uh, well, it was about a couple things. Uh, one was about, was about, um, the nature of conflict and how, uh, reality kind of unfolds and, uh, Jesus entered that picture. Uh, and then the second part of that one, uh, had to do with what appeared to be a, uh, an overarching series of patterns in how the world works. Basically, um, but ba- basically, I saw that there are a lot of patterns in how communication between all things seem to work. Uh, that's the short answer. But, cool. Uh, yeah. yeah, it sounds like a uh, like a cool revelation that you have. Yeah, uh, probably no one has idea any idea what I'm talking about, and I have to think of a better way to explain these sorts of things, but it's still, um, a, bit, it's still a bit vague, but I, I kind of get the general sense. Yeah, I, I think, well, one uh, important revelation that I had was all this time I had been contemplating and pursuing self, um, self-development or, um, you know, improving yourself for the sake of a better life because I was pursuing the, you know, a better and better life for myself. I was pursuing even like what's the optimal life. And basically well, the conclusion that I came to is that it appears that the most um, beneficial thing you can do to improve your quality of life 
uh, resides in spirituality. A lot of that resides in spirituality and uh, breath work and meditation and things like that. And science is confirming this more and more. And it's actually very conspicuous for a lot of reasons. But um, that's been a big interest of mine. And I like slowly realized basically that my path in self-development was heading more and more in the straight up spiritual direction of breath work and uh, meditation and being more present, et cetera, et cetera. And I would say, uh, redirecting this back to poker, you can see many spiritual principles in poker, like what you were talking about with the, uh, the oceans. I mean, that principle of, um, like surrendering to the outcome would be one way of putting it. Uh, mm -hmm. and ideally being having equanimity, no matter what happens, uh, is relevant in, in, uh, and what you're talking about, it sounds like, and also in uh, poker, it is because you can all sorts of things can happen. And if you and if you let your emotions take control of you, then you'll have some problems. But yeah. uh, it's no secret that meditation, etc., helps a lot for your games as well. Um, so that's something that the people, the audience, can take away from, and maybe that resonates with you. I'm not much of a meditator. I've tried to be. It hasn't stuck. But I, but you know, the, for the people that have it as a big part of their life, I've heard nothing but positive things. So it definitely tracks that it's been a uh, that it's been a boon for you too. Uh, I would say it definitely has it helped me conquer my anger problems. So there's that. Nice. Which I think you probably were relevant to, or not relevant. I mean, you you. <laughs> you I wasn't relevant to them. Yeah, you weren't uh, relevant. Actually, you're like pretty zen about that stuff. Uh, but he witnessed my anger issues, uh, which are mostly non-existent these days. Um, I mean, in, I, I feel like in general, they've improved basically every year that I've known you, right? They were the worst when you were younger, and they've gotten better, I think, as time has gone on. Well, thank you. Yeah. Uh, can I ask what it is about rock climbing that draws you to it? Is there any relevance to poker? I mean, I would think that when you're thinking of climbing a rock, uh, you have to use some kind of strategy to like plan the end game backwards, which you have to do in poker. Um, not that necessarily. There's a, I mean, climbing like in a gym setting, especially is kind of like puzzle solving, right? Cause you have all these like routes that are marked and so it's like, you have to just sit there and figure out like, well, how am I going to contour my body? And like, you know, where am I going to put my feet and my hands during this climb? And so part of that is just puzzle solving and that, you know, poker in many ways is a puzzle that you solve as you play. So there's that transference, but mostly it's just, uh, I don't know. It's just an, like a physical outlet that is competitive and that climbing is nice because you can very easily track progress, which I think a lot of people in poker like. Like, I think we all like to be able to just like very clearly see that we're improving at something. Um, at least I've, I've found that with a lot of poker players. Like I, you know, like we all keep our stats, our results, everything where mm -hmm. we, uh, we all like to just sort of be reassured by the data. And that's very easy to find in climbing. And I think uh, that's why there's a fair amount of crossover from poker to climbing. Um, yeah, I would say, um, and definitely, uh, for everyone, like being able to know progress is very useful. In fact, uh, one of the biggest motivators, psych psychologically speaking, is knowing that you're making progress. Uh, yeah, for sure. Um, 
like basically almost everything that I've ever done has a very clear progress marker. And I think it's just because I like crave that psychologically. Well, yeah, it makes sense to even pursue it just because it's really hard to like overcome that emotional barrier of doing something. If you just have no idea where, where you're at and you don't know. Yeah, exactly. well, that's, yeah. And that's why, I don't know if you struggle with something, but like, I, like I've tried to make like creative pursuits a part of my life, but those are harder because there's, you know, it's like when you're drawing something or like writing or storytelling, there's not that like very clear signal that's just like, yeah, you're getting better at this. You kind of have to like intuit that, you know, you're making progress, which is tougher. Um, one, uh, one thing I did work on, by the way, um, I put writing to the side because it seemed like I wasn't going to benefit me anytime soon, although something is more naturally good at. Uh, one thing I did work on is storytelling to a degree. Um, I actually did find someone who is very good at coaching storytelling. Uh, yeah, so that was uh, something. I mean, I mean, I put that to the side as well. But like the ability to tell a story is a pretty useful one. I mean, it has lots of crossover to hosting a podcast to some degree. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it has lots of. I mean, I guess you could say like playing poker is a bit like storytelling in some ways. Every hand is a story. Yeah, that's that. That's the cheesy uh, thing. Yeah, I was, I, 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 it, it would come out eventually. Yeah, I finally got a cheesy uh, saying out of the Greek. It is true, though. Every hand is a story. Gorodinsky could be. Uh, it sounds vaguely like a writer's name. I forget who that Russian writer was. Uh, There's a lot of them. Dostoevsky. Yeah, Dostoevsky is who I'm thinking of. Yeah. Uh, so uh, did you manage to create any metrics for figuring out if you're learning, if you're getting better at anything creative? Like how does it, yeah, I'm curious how. I mean, I liked that. I went through that little period where I was drawing people's uh, portraits from poker. I drew oh, you as a monkey. Yeah. I remember. Um, yeah, oh, yeah, it was, it was fun. I mean, I kind of gauged it just based on how people responded to it. You know, I, there's obviously no like clear feedback for it, but. I found a way to make it feel meaningful for myself, yeah. Well, I believe you won the game of meaning. Um, I guess I guess you won in that currency. You could yeah. say that. Uh, I guess that's a metric of sorts. Um, it makes sense. So what are you doing these days other than... Uh, are you doing anything else uh, career-wise? Um, Career-wise, no, I'll, I'll still be in poker for the next probably, whatever, five to ten years. I've told myself since I was like 20 that I was eventually going to teach high school, which hopefully that happens. Um, I keep pushing it off and delaying it later and later. But uh, but yeah, I don't know. I'm recently married, so house hunting, planning for a family, that's kind of taking priority right now. Oh, shit, you're all grown up. I know, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so that's uh, that's been the big change in my life, more or less. How about you, Jungle? When are you gonna gonna make some moves on that plane? Uh, I'm not sure because I have too many ambitions. Is uh, my good or bad thing it makes my life very complicated. I uh, yeah, if I got married, I don't I don't see myself having kids for a while. At some point, yeah, but uh, but that's not a priority for you right now, huh? That's um, not a priority for you. 
No, I've got like you know the flute to learn. You got the flute, yeah. I mean, play like some proper tunes on this thing, and embarrass myself with it. Obviously, you can't have kids before you can knock out a tune on the flute. Come on, then. Yeah, yeah. Well, this thing is um because it's so challenging. It's uh it it exercises your ability to be patient. Um, yeah. It's teaching. That's why it's the wand of patience. This thing. Uh, ah, good, good. And yeah, why not add that to the repertoire of skills? So, are we going to be seeing you at the WSOP next year, or are you going to be going joining in any stops? Um, I'm going to come to Vegas in February for, there's like a little mixed game series that, uh, the poker go studios running that has like, yeah, it's like 10 to 30 K type buy-in events. And they have like a little winner at the end. It sounded fun. Um, so I'll come out for that. And then probably the series, um, depending on, uh, some other stuff that's going on here. Yeah. All right. Cool. I guess there's a fringe chance that I, uh, I've been doing a lot more, um, I should mention I've been doing a lot more physical activity type things like learning martial arts and stuff like that. Really? It's like, what martial art are you doing? Um, here, I have another prop, uh, somewhere, but one that I, I have a hit. Be a hero power. and do some sort of like karate kick in the background. I think your fans will love it. Well, I have something a bit, uh, that's, that I'm actually better at than karate kick. I'm very bad at karate. But I used right. to do that one as, as a kid too. One second. Let's see it. No one on the podcast streets is going to have this. Um, maybe uh, you recognize this by some chance. But this is uh, the martial, the Filipino martial art escrima. But are, are those foam or what are those? Well, these are foam because if yeah. you have wooden ones, they're actually registered weapons. Um, ah. Like if you can, like if you know how to do this, just a little bit of basics, you can easily defend yourself. Um, it's, but it's then you got to carry those two wooden sticks with you everywhere you go. Which actually, like, I, it wouldn't surprise me if you did that. So that maybe that's just valid. It wouldn't surprise me if it did what? Well, you said you can defend yourself with those. But then I was like, yeah, but to defend yourself, you just have to have those on you. Yeah. Like, well, you if you have to carry two, version, two of those things that are wooden, you can defend yourself against, like, you know, even, like, someone with a knife. Or it's I like, agree with you, but you also just have to like be in a casino with those two wooden bats. <laughs> yeah. Well, no one's going to get you in, in the casino, but if you're traveling, you can hold those with you, and now you're you're defensible. Um, at, it's a fun workout as well. Yeah, so there's a fringe chance I, uh, I challenge you at surfing, which I never imagined that I might do, but you never know. Sure. Uh, like maybe like a year. Or something like that. Um, it's not well, I'm not doing too much surfing here in the mountains these days. It's only a vacation activity for me now. But yeah, we can get out there. All right, we can also uh, hike a mountain. That's uh, much bit more realistic as long as it's not doesn't require much technical skills. We can definitely do that. A hike, like the walking up, but not the not the um, not the real not like grappling or any of that shit. We could do both. It's safer than you think. Really. Okay, I didn't know that. I suppose I could be convinced to do the the technical skills and scale somewhere where you can't simply climb up it. Yeah, I feel like one of your strengths anyway is uh, being open to new experiences. I feel like you're always doing something new. It's true. Well, you never know. In any case, we'll catch up. There's a good chance we'll catch up in Las Vegas then because I'll be around-ish the area. Those days. I mean, if I don't see you in February, I'm sure I'll see you over the summer. 
All right, cool. Well, is there anything uh, you want me to promote or any anything else you'd like to talk about before we go and get out of here? No, I'm over here just living a humble life in Denver. Nothing to promote. Thanks for having me on, man. It was nice to catch up and talk to you. Yeah, you too. And uh, hope you enjoy your quality life in Denver. I've heard it's one of the most high-quality cities there are, as well as San Diego. Uh, yeah, yeah, I know how to pick them. I pick the good ones. I can see. Yeah, well, it sounds like you're living your best life and uh, looking forward to catching up in the future. Yeah, sounds good. Thank you.